B troubles. AV troubles. AV troubles. AV. <laughs> having problems. Children may go to children's church now. <laughs> Enjoy your time there. Oh, no, Jason Grimes is going too. <laughs> That's okay. You'll be all right. Jason, you'll be all right, Jason, yeah. The rest of us will turn to Romans chapter 10. No, sadly, I can't just print my own money. If I were to take a really nice piece of paper, the right texture and grade, and get, a, get some nice green crayons and draw a picture of some dead presidents, I don't think I could take it to the bank or the store and it would be of any use to me. I couldn't just print my own money but then again neither can an expert counterfeiter print their own money they can do it technically and it might even look very close to the real thing but it's still not allowed they're, they're still, it's still not accepted currency must be printed by the federal government and guaranteed by the government. We don't just come up with our own. In a similar vein, I can't just print my own certificate of righteousness. I can't write myself a letter saying, you know, I really tried to be good and I think I'm better than most of my neighbors and that should be good enough. And in fact, the best people in the world cannot just print their own certificate of righteousness. It has to come from the right source. It has to be guaranteed by the right source. And that is God. Only God can grant righteousness. And his righteousness is a righteousness of faith. As we see in Romans chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 13 today. But I want to start with verse 4. Because uh, verses 5 through 13 explain verse 4. We ended at verse 4 last week, which says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now it's as if Paul says, here's what I mean by that. Here's how that works out for both Jews and Gentiles in verses 5 through 13. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Paul says first of all in verse 5 that the, the righteousness of faith is contrasted with the law. Having just said in verse 4 that Christ is the end of the law. He's the, he's the termination point of the law and he's the fulfillment of the law. There's, uh, there's no more law by which we live. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's contrasted with the way the Old Testament covenant looked at relationship or how they misunderstood it. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. The only thing that the law required was perfect adherence. If you want to be righteous by the demands of the law, all you have to do is keep every law without exception at all times. That's the righteousness of the law. And no one of us has ever done that. No one save Christ has ever done that. This harkens back also to the previous chapter of Romans, verses uh, 31 and 32 of chapter 9. So we look at the, toward the end of Romans 9, verse 31, it says, But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They didn't seek it by faith. They didn't seek to have a relationship to God by faith, but only by works. And that never works. It is always by faith. God has always had a relationship with people by faith, as we saw last week in reference to Abraham, for instance. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the righteousness of faith is contrasted with that of of the law itself of just trying to keep the law secondly the righteousness of faith is contained in the law that is we can see in the law itself that God was pointing towards something else in verses 6 to 8 but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way and what's interesting here is that Paul now, when he says, speaks in this way, he is going to gather from several Old Testament, in fact, from Deuteronomy, from the law itself, several verses which talk about um, the righteousness of faith. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Quoting from Dan, uh, Deuteronomy 9, 4, as we'll see in a moment. Do not say in your heart. And then switching over to Deuteronomy 30. Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will, 
who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we preach. Now, in order to understand why Paul is uh, being led by God to go back to these particular passages in Deuteronomy, let's go back and look at them. So you'll probably want to keep your place in Romans, but also go back to, first of all, Deuteronomy chapter 9. The book of Deuteronomy means literally second law. Uh, Deuteronomos. It's the second law because when the law was first given uh, and Moses brought down the commandments from God and Israel disobeyed and so they had to walk in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they're getting ready after that 40 year wilderness walk to enter into the promised land again and the law is given again. The same law, but given again, Deuteronomy, second law. And it's in this book of second law, Deuteronomy, that we find these verses. By the way, this book of Deuteronomy is also the book most often quoted by Jesus of all the Old Testament books. It's a fascinating book for us to study and read ourselves. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, start at verse 4. Do not think in your heart. Remember, that's how... How Paul begins Romans 10, 6. Do not think this in your heart. And look what the rest of this passage says. Do not think in your heart. After the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which he swore, which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. In other words, because of the covenant promises. Notice verse 6. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. So this is just a reminder that, that God's gifts to them and God's grace to them was never based on their own uprightness. And even though it may be that they were better than the nations around them, there was no way in which they could say, well, you know, uh, we're, we're good enough because God says uh, it's not because of your righteousness because you are a stiff-necked people that means you're very stubborn you're a stubborn people as, as they proved over and over for sure now go to Deuteronomy chapter 30 so their relationship with God has always been based upon his grace and never upon their own uprightness or righteousness. Deuteronomy 30, which is the bulk of where uh, Paul is quoting from in, in uh, Romans 10, starting at verse 11 of Deuteronomy 30. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. Just a reminder that what uh, 
as if Moses is saying, you know, this is not something beyond what you can get. This is not too far off or mysterious or something that you can later on plead. Well, I just didn't get that. That just didn't make sense to me. Moses is saying, this is not too mysterious for you. You You can get this. Verse 12, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. You don't have to ascend up into heaven to bring it down. God's already given it to you. You don't have to ascend there somehow to get it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So you see these components there, verse 12. It's not in heaven that you have to go up and get it. It's not beyond the sea, so that you have to go someplace to get it. By the way, the sea and the abyss are kind of in the interchangeable terms because for someone to be lost at sea is the same as to being cast into the abyss. They're just lost forever is the idea. So Paul in Romans 10 uses the word abyss instead of sea as it is here in uh, Deuteronomy 30, 13. It's not beyond the seas. Who should go bring it to us? 14 the word is near you. In fact, it is, note, notice, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So, so let's go to Romans now. The idea is it's, it's not too obscure. So now, Deuteronomy 10.6, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? As if to say, who will bring Christ down for us? Who's going to bring Christ, the Messiah down for us? And, and do not say, who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That word of faith which we preach. So first of all, What Paul is saying here is don't say that God has not made his expectations clear. Just as in the Old Testament, he made the law clear to people, so now he has made his way of righteousness clear to people. It is revealed preeminently in his Son. Jesus is the final word from God. And in Jesus, God has clearly spoken, this is what righteousness is, my Son. And everyone who believes in him and his atoning death will be made righteous. God did reveal his will in the Old Testament and clearly so. And now Paul is saying God has revealed his will in Christ. So it's the same thing now with Christ. Just as in the Old Testament men did not need to ascend into heaven to bring down the the law so that they could read it and know it so now men do not need to ascend to heaven to bring down Messiah to bring down Christ verse 6 do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven that is to bring Christ down from above because he already came down right in the incarnation it's what we celebrate at Christmas Christ came to earth the God made man So we don't have to look for that to happen. It has happened. God did it in Christ. 
nor verse 7 who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead because God raised him from the dead so third the, the righteousness of faith is now explained in verses uh, 9 and following verse 8 says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart the word of faith which we preach and here here it is here's the word of faith that he's talking about that verse 9 if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation so the righteousness of faith is explained in these three ways first of all it is confessing the lordship of Jesus if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus um, notice that verse 8 says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart and then that's carried over in verse 9 you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart well, what does it mean to confess? Um, <clears throat> homologeo is the Greek word, means the same, uh, to say the same thing. Uh, the same word, literally. To say the same thing as God says uh, about Jesus. Now, we can think of confessing our, our sins, would be another way of using that word. To confess means to say the same. There's as I see my sin, I say the same thing about my sin that God says about my sin. I don't try to cover it up. I don't try to make it look good. I don't try to justify it. I say the same thing that God says, it is sin. In regard to Christ, I'm saying the same thing that our Heavenly Father says about Jesus. He is Lord. To confess, to say the same thing, that's what it means. And what specifically are we to confess? Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. What do you confess? Jesus is Lord. That's it. You, you agree with God. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses uh, 1 through 3. First Corinthians 12 starting at verse 1 now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I do not want you to be ignorant you know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols wherever you were led um, the, these dumb meaning um, they couldn't speak mute idols Therefore, verse 3, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, it is because the Holy Spirit has enabled us to be able to say that. It's not something that we come up with on our own or think would be a good idea, but it's an evidence of the fact of the regenerating work of God in our heart 
to make us new people so that we can now say, Jesus is Lord. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Well, what is the, uh, the result of this confessing? Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the result is salvation. Because... The confessing Jesus is Lord is an outworking of a spiritual inward reality. That is, you know inside yourself, you have experienced this by the Holy Spirit telling you this is true. And what comes out of you is Jesus is Lord. Why does that come out of you? Because God has changed your heart. And so it's not the physical saying of it that is the issue here. It's not like you earn salvation by saying Jesus is Lord. But rather it is a reflection of what has taken place inside of you. The change of heart that enables you to say that. So the righteousness of faith is first of all confessing the lordship of Jesus. Secondly, it is believing the in the resurrection of Jesus. Now the same two verses 9 and 10. Um, speak of this. They, they do it in a chiastic structure. And it's a simple chiasm. In that it's, it goes mouth, heart, heart, mouth. Notice that um, progression here. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. For with the heart one believes, and with the mouth confession is made. So mouth, heart, heart, mouth. And so the, um, the believing is in the heart. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Well, what does it mean to believe? Well, it certainly is much more than just acknowledging some facts or giving some kind of mental assent to something. It's more than just kind of playing the odds. You believe there's a God? Well, yeah, probably. It is, it is to fully rely upon something. To put all of your trust in this one thing. To believe in your heart. In your innermost being, you trust this to be true. In your heart, you believe this. And what are we to believe? The resurrection. Verse 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is to believe, to trust in this truth that the resurrection of Christ, the spiritual and bodily resurrection of Christ is real. Your salvation depends on it. Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. And so everything about our eternal life is dependent upon his having gained victory over death, his resurrection. Well, why believe specifically in the resurrection? Why not say if you believe in the cross or to say if you believe in the death 
of Christ or something like that. Well, the resurrection has always stood as a supreme demonstration of the power of God. God demonstrated his power through the resurrection. Is also, uh, the resurrection is also unique to Christianity. There could be other people who would point to other folks through the years who have died for other people, that is, taken a bullet for them or been a martyr or somehow died. Of course, only Jesus died for us in the sense of taking our sin upon him. But what is unique is that though he's not the only one to die, he is the only one to come back to life by his own power. And so that is what, of all religions of the world, marks Christianity as supremely unique, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Also, the resurrection assumes the other things, like the, the, the trial and the crucifixion and the death. Those are all assumed. What, what comes next is the resurrection. And from man's point of view, the resurrection appears to be the greater miracle. So we are to fully trust in and in our innermost being trust in the resurrection that God has raised him from the dead and the result of that believing is salvation. And believe in your heart, verse 9 says, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved and then verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Being saved and, and having God's righteousness are the same thing. In other words, you can't have God's righteousness without being saved, and you can't be saved without having God's righteousness. They, they go together. And the third, final thing here is calling upon the name of Jesus. Verse 11 through 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, what does it mean to call? It means to, to call out. Like a drowning person might call out to be saved. Help me. It's calling out like that. A call of a desperate plea. A calling out. This calling out is related to believing. Verse 11 says, For whoever believes on him will not be put to shame and then verses 12 and 13 talk about calling. So the believing and the calling are related to each other. By the way, notice in verse 11, um, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. We saw that also over in the last verse of chapter 9. Go back to chapter 9, the last verse. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame it's quoting from the same passage Isaiah 28 16 
And those then become like, uh, like bookends to this section. The last verse of Romans 9, 33, and then going forward to uh, Romans 10, 11. And so those are like bookends for all the things that happen in between. This is both a universal and a personal appeal to this call. First of all, verse 11 says, whoever believes on him. Verse 12 explains that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Doesn't matter that the Jews had all of these precious promises we saw at the beginning of chapter 9 nor that they had been the covenant people of the Old Testament. They still have to come by faith in Christ. But the same is true for every Gentile. The, th the thing that makes us all one is we all come to God by the Christ. There's no distinction. It doesn't matter what your background, where, whether you were a practicing Jew or you were a pagan worshiping Zeus. There's no distinction. You have to come to God through Christ. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. And here's the great news. Because God is gracious to all. The same Lord over all. Just as Jesus is Lord. Means he is Lord over everyone and everything. He is Lord over all. He is Lord over all people. And he is rich to all who call upon him. His grace will never run out. There's never going to be a time he'll, he'll go back to the treasure chest of grace and say, oops, I just gave the last bit to Rob. Rob, you robbed me of the last bit of grace again. I don't, I don't have any for Tanya now. That's never going to happen. Never happen. Because he is, he is infinite in his riches of his grace. Same Lord is always rich to all who call upon him. It's all and whoever. It's both a universal call and it is an individual personal call to every one of you. Each one of you who call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what we're to call upon, the name of the Lord. Verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord... Now, the word, the, the name of someone or something refers to all that a, that a person represents. Uh, an ambassador will speak in the name of a king or president or country or so forth, and he does so representing them. So, in the name of the Lord is to call upon him and everything that he represents, who he is in his entirety. And Acts 4.12 tells us that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Only by the name of Jesus Christ. So whoever calls upon him, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be saved. And note the result of the calling. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now you might notice that this is the same result as confessing. If you confess Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart in the resurrection that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And one of the things that this tells us then is that those three things are not separate. They're all the same thing. It's like looking at something from three different angles. To say that Jesus is Lord is you can only do that if you believe that he is who he is and that he really rose from the dead. And you will only do that if you call upon his name. And everyone who calls upon his name will understand that the reality of the resurrection and the reality that he is Lord. So those three things are three different ways of saying the same thing. And they have the same result. God paid for our salvation through his son Jesus Christ. And you here today, if you do not know that salvation, whoever you are, whoever you are, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. God has done the hard part. Ours is but to believe and to trust in Him. God has paid the highest price we can imagine. A little over a hundred years ago, back when, before we had uh, texting and emailing and even telephones, the story of uh, a Mrs. Samuel Untermeyer who cabled her husband from Europe about a gobeline tapestry that she had found. The price for the tapestry was $25,000. That was a whole lot back 100 years ago. That's a lot today. Because she'd found this tapestry for $25,000 and she cabled him. She wanted to know if she should buy it. So he, he sends this cable back to her. No, was Untermeyer's reply. Then he simply said, price too high. A few weeks later, she returned from Europe with the tapestry. And when her husband asked why she had disregarded his reply, she showed him the telegram, which read... No price too high. <laughs> That's what God said about you. That's what God said about buying you back from sin. what God said when he looked at you in your vileness and sinfulness that only he knows that there was no price too high to buy you back let's pray Oh Lord, we are so grateful that righteousness comes by faith because we know that in ourselves we could never attain it, we could never achieve it. But you have, you have so graciously provided it in the death of your Son and our Savior. 
I pray God for anyone here who has not accepted that blessed truth that this day might be the day that they call upon you. For those of us who know you, Lord, we rejoice in you. We are so grateful that, that you said there was no price too high. And you pay that highest of all prices. May we rejoice and glorify you. Lift up your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our final song today.